privilege to have a person that in many ways broke some ground with wanting to reclaim some of these things of the spirits and some of the dynamics of seeing the fullness of everything we see in Scripture lived out and worked out in the life of the church. And so I really want to ask you to open your hearts wide to the gift that Terry is, both relationally to us. Uh, Terry is one of those, those grandfatherly figures. When he says something, you find yourself just listening and drinking it in and taking it in. We were having lunch the other day. Terry said a few words that I felt like these, they're going to stick with me for the rest of my life and they'll, they will be strengtheners and, and wisdom giveners. He said, no, I'm not going to say. <laughs> so let's, let's tonight, let's just ask God to do that freshly. Uh, Terry, we celebrate your milestone tomorrow, but more than that, we just celebrate the gift and the joy that you are to the church. And we just want to say, go for it. Enjoy yourself tonight. Father, won't you come upon Terry even freshly now? Won't you cause uh, these deep wells that we've come to know and trust to be a uh, great grace to us this evening. And thank you for this, your vessel, your instrument. Thank you for faithfulness over years. But more so than any of that, God, we've come to be taught and led by you tonight. And so won't you use Terry uh, as a faithful instrument in teaching us. We pray this all in your glorious name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you. Dear friends, it's great to be with you again. Uh, I so enjoyed my visit last year when I was uh, with you for a few weeks had the joy of traveling among a number of the congregations, and we had those special uh, sessions on receiving the Spirit. It was a delight to see many receiving the Holy Spirit. I've been asked to speak this evening on this whole theme of continuing in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to do that from 2 Timothy and reading the first few verses from chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 1, and we're struggling with this. Yeah, sorry, I think it might. Is it? Something's not right. Okay. Would you want to take it out of my pocket? <laughs> Just take the mic, not the money. <laughs> okay. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I'm sure is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. We thank you for the promise of the Father, that you will give the Spirit to those who ask. So, Father, collectively, we ask right now for the Holy Spirit to rest upon us, lead us into truth, 
Let truth come alive in our hearts, Lord. Do us good here tonight, we pray, Father, that going from here we feel strengthened, fortified, more prepared to serve you with greater anticipation of blessing and favor. Lord, let your hand be on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here we have a letter from Paul to his beloved son, a man who'd worked with him for a number of years and now had the immense privilege of representing him, going on his behalf. He's an apostolic delegate, if you like. He's there because Paul is not there. And that's a massive privilege for a young guy. Paul was one of the most remarkable characters of the Bible, clearest grasp perhaps of the gospel, full of uh, good works, a life laid down for Jesus, beloved by many of the churches that he's raised up, an extraordinary man of God. And Timothy has this kind of challenge, to put it mildly, to represent such a figure. And I want to look at it from that point of view because we're going to come to this phrase, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. That's Paul's word to Timothy. He's encouraging him not to be dormant, not to neglect the gift that's in him, as he says earlier in the epistle. Don't neglect it. It's possible he's implying for us to have received something from God so wonderful, so dynamic as a coming upon of the Holy Spirit and somehow to neglect it. We can even have a a longing to be filled with the Spirit. We can build up to that. We can pray, oh, please, please, please. And then have an occasion when you say, yes, it happened to me on such and such a date. And then as the weeks and years slip by, somehow fail to live in the good of it. And we want to look at tonight living in the good of what God is so graciously giving to us. So here's this young guy, and he has this challenging call to represent the Apostle Paul. It looks as though it was Paul who initiated this. It wasn't Timothy pushing in, saying, please, can I do it? Please, can I have this responsibility? You can read in the book of Acts how uh, Paul kind of stumbled on Timothy and asked uh, the elders of the church, can I have this young man come with me? So it was another person's initiative. And some of us, we're in uh, roles in perhaps life groups or all kinds of settings where we feel, well, yes, I've responded to somebody else's invitation. I'm not sure I would have pushed myself, but here I am, I'm doing something that I've been asked to do. And I want to just see, first of all, how Timothy might well have felt, hey, this is really a big call. It's a challenging and demanding thing that God has called him to do and Paul is asking him to do. I'm sure he thought, well, Paul could do a better job. Sorry, it's me. I've turned up. That's the challenge he lived with. And I think sometimes we feel this kind of limitation in our lives. He had to do a number of things. If you look through First and Second Timothy, it's an extraordinary challenge that Paul puts on him. Some of the things he has to do, he has to instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines. So he's got to come in and not just preach a few sermons, but he's got to challenge people. He's got to confront situations which perhaps he would rather not confront He's got to sort people out. He's told that he has to confront those who have a wrong attitude to law. That was one of the big issues in the early church. These who had followed God in previous uh, uh, years, and the way they followed God was to submit to these detailed laws, and then came the new covenant and the glorious freedom that came. In fact, we spoke a bit about that last year when I was with you. We're not under law. We're under grace. And that can be a revolutionary message to people who hitherto have thought, no, keeping law is everything. 
keeping the rules, keeping these laws. That's the whole way you approach God. And Paul had to deal with that issue. And we find in Galatians and Romans and Philippians and many places, he's dealing ruthlessly with this, saying, no, we are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit, who glory in Christ, who put no confidence in the flesh. This, God's bringing about a new people full of the Holy Spirit, another new covenant community that he's raising up. And that could be a very contentious thing. I remember once when I was preaching in a church in Spain and preaching through uh, Romans 6 where it says we're not under law. And as I'm expounding it and teaching it, somebody actually stood up in the congregation. And I, that's rare while you're preaching. And he stood up and said, I have never heard anything so outrageous in all my life. So that was quite an exciting preach. <laughs> but it was just straight Bible verses but he'd never come across it before. And of course, in Paul's day and in Timothy's day, that would have been a real issue constantly. Paul has to deal with it so much of the time. This is challenging. This is not easy. He's told to, uh, to sort out leadership issues. He's got to see who's a leader, what are the qualifications of leaders, appoint leaders. He's also got to talk, sort out male-female things. Still a problem today, still a challenge. He has to sort out widows. He's told to handle widows-ish situations and, and bless those who are real widows. You think, how did that work? I mean, God bless you, my dear lady. God bless you. God bless you. And then come to the next one. I don't think you're a real widow. You think, how do you do that? I mean, these, you look at these verses, you think, boy, what was that like? How did he do that? Teach, tell the rich not to be conceited. I'm not sure the rich like to be told not to be conceited. <laughs> this, is, this is tough stuff. And then on top of it all, do the work of an evangelist. You think, thank you, Paul, that as well. Come on. This is a very demanding and challenging task that God has given him. So the first thing I want to just point out is the challenge that Timothy faced, standing in place of Paul with a great list of very demanding things to do. And then secondly, let's just look at the man himself. He was young. So early on, Paul says, let no man despise your youth. Again, a culture which greatly respected elderly people. That's how it was seen in Bible days particularly. That's where wisdom lay with the elderly. And here's Timothy, who's comparatively young. Now, maybe I could bless some of us here tonight that uh, the commentators would say, well, this is Paul's last letter. Second Timothy is written with the note of martyrdom is coming. I've run my course. It's the end of Paul's life. And Timothy has been taken alongside probably a few decades before this. And so commentators tend to suggest that Timothy was probably about 40 years of age at this time. So can I bless a few in their 40s tonight? Don't let anyone despise your youth. Okay. That's what the Bible says, okay? So he's probably feeling too inexperienced, okay? So that's, that comes to many of us. We can feel, I'd love to witness more at work. I'd love to talk about Jesus more but I don't know if I've got the backup. If they start asking awkward questions, I don't, know, I don't know how I can follow through. I can talk about Jesus maybe, that, but there's so much hostility out there. And, I, and so often we feel, well, I don't know if I could do it. And that, I think, is what places, uh, faces Timothy. That, can I do it? Have I got what it takes to do it? That's what it means to be kind of too young, too inexperienced. You don't have enough. And that can be enough 
It's for us to keep quiet in case, well, I say something and they say, oh, but what about me? Oh, I don't, know. I don't know the answers to these questions. And Timothy was perhaps in that situation, feeling vulnerable. He's also, by nature, timid. Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, Timothy. Why does he say that? Well, because obviously he, he tends to be timid. It's in his personality. He's a kind of a shy guy. In fact, the more we go through this, we're going to wonder, why on earth did Paul choose this guy? And we tend to think that leaders are natural extroverts. And we, I want to try and really hit this tonight. We tend to think of someone who is charismatic as someone who's outgoing, extrovert, would be in charge of whatever he was in. If he was in education or business or in the creative arts, he's a charismatic character. And we tend to think that comes from the personality, who the man is. It's kind of an extension of who he is. Very charismatic. And of course, the word has been borrowed from the Bible, from the church, and being used widely now. A very charismatic character. Well, Timothy's not. Timothy's timid. And he's being sent by Paul. And often we think, well, you know, the, the guys whom God uses, they're the, they're the bright ones, the outgoing ones. But hey, no, this isn't the case here. In fact, when Paul sent Timothy to Corinth, it says this in 1 Corinthians 16.10, when Timothy comes, don't frighten him. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine Rigby sending out a guy to say, right, you're going to plant over there and don't frighten him when he comes. Why are you sure you've got the right guy? That's his style. Do you know, we we do tend to think that God chooses the outgoing ones, but, you know, in the Bible, very often you'll find that people that God chooses are kind of hidden away. You find he chooses Gideon. Remember, it comes to Gideon, who's hiding in a cave, and, and God comes to him and says, you mighty man of valor. He's like, who's he talking to? I thought I was the only one here. Because he's like, look, look, I am the least in my father's house. And my father's house is nothing at all. So why, why me? This should be hugely encouraging to us because God can take hold of whom he will when he puts his hand upon them. And it says he clothes Gideon with the Holy Spirit. And he became a great warrior. God called him a great warrior from the beginning. And when he was clothed with the Spirit, he became a great warrior. He took an army of only 300 men against tens of thousands. And God can call him it as soon as he likes, because that's what he's going to make him. God has this ability to take hold of people who have nothing to impress about them, and he can transform them. That's the wonder of the Scripture. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians and chapter 1, God has chosen the weak things and the foolish things. And the despised, not many noble, not many mighty, not many wise. If you've got a degree, you're lucky you're in here at all. He didn't choose many wise. It says this, it doesn't choose many, it doesn't choose people with uh, all the, they've got things to themselves. He chooses, it says, the despised and the foolish. You look at the stories of the Gospels with these disciples and the, the things that are not. It's an amazing list, really, in 1 Corinthians 1. It goes down in a downward spiral, and it comes at last to, and he chooses those who are not. You, you can't get any lower than not. <laughs> and it's very, it's very vividly displayed in the story of David. Do you remember that Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse? 
and was told that one of his sons is to be anointed to become king. And he walks into Jesse's home and there's Eliab, who's big like Saul had been. And he, wow, that's the one. And God says, no, 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 I'm not looking on the outward appearance. I'm looking on the heart. And he goes, he goes down the list, seven. You know that perfect number. Here's these seven sons. He goes, right, one. No, not this one. Not this one. Not. What's the deal? I've been through all seven and it's not any of them. And then he says, is there another? And Samuel, Jesse rather, doesn't even name his son. He said, there's one more looking after the sheep. He doesn't say, my son David. There's one more looking after the sheep. There's one who is not. One who's not even brought to the party. Here's the national prophet. Samuel, the man of the day, is in your home to meet your family and he doesn't even get invited. He's looking after a few sheep. He's the one who's not. And God chose the one who was not to bring to naught a Mr. Goliath, who very much was. God raised up the one. And, and, and again and again we see this in the scripture. God choosing the weak. That's his way. He does it that way. Sometimes it seems like he's got someone strong. You look at Moses at the beginning of Moses' life. Moses is sovereignly protected as a baby. He's raised in Egypt. He's mighty, it says. He's mighty in word and deed. He led the Egyptian army. We're told by Josephus, the Jewish historian, that he led the Egyptian army against the Ethiopians at Memphis and won a great victory. He's, he's like a great young soldier and he's in the palace. And, and then there comes to a decision in his heart by faith. I'm not going to embrace all this Egyptian wealth and prestige and power but he's still got this kind of strength of character. He's still a tough guy. And he's in the palace and he looks out and he sees an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew and he goes out and kills the Egyptian. You know, I'll help God kill an Egyptian. And then he goes back into the palace and the next day he looks out and two Israelites are fighting one another. So he kind of bangs their heads together and says, hey, what are you doing? You're brothers, why are you fighting? And they say, who made you? a king over us. And it says Moses looked this way and that and ran for his life. He ran into the wilderness. He's away. I remember when I was a young guy, we used to have a missionary week every year and we'd get all the missionaries talking about what they were doing and then they'd get some great big preacher on the last night and make, you know, who's going to go and be a missionary? Who's going to be a missionary? And then they'd sing this great big song at the end, just as I am, Young, strong, and free. It really appeals to the flesh, this song. Just as I am, young, strong, and free to be the best that I can be. I remember I went forward, just as I am, young, strong, and free. It's like Moses went and said, Lord, you need my help, just as I am, young, strong, and free. And God said, thank you, Moses. See you in 40 years. He's in the wilderness looking after a few sheep. And then God comes to him and says, I'm calling you. And Moses says this, I can't speak. When we first met him, he's mighty in word and deed. Now, God's kind of drained him of that self-confidence so that he can now have God-confidence. He gets to know God like few men do in the Bible. He has these face-to-face -face encounters that help him go into the, into the presence of mighty Pharaoh 
He's not in his own strength because he knows God. He's met God. And that's the whole point, beloved, that God can take hold of weak things and breathe life and strength and power into us. That's why Jesus said to the disciples at the end of three years of training, when, to be honest, they're pretty disappointing. They keep on misunderstanding. And at the very end, we know about Peter's denial, pretty famous, but it says all of them ran away. And yet within a few weeks, they begin to turn the world upside down. God chose these weak guys. And how did he do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit shall come upon you. That's the whole point. Don't you start, it says at the end of Luke 24. Don't start. It's like, I know you guys. Don't start. When the Spirit comes upon you, then you'll be my witnesses. God takes hold of weak people. If he doesn't empower us, I mean, it's a useless idea, isn't it? Imagine starting an international company and choosing this guy. Yes, you look really pathetic. Will you open up Singapore? And you, I think, yes, you look so hopeless. Open up Rio de Janeiro. We're going to take the world. You know, God chooses the weak things. But that's crazy unless he's going to add something to us. A dynamic. You shall receive dunamis, dynamic power. When the Spirit comes upon you. That's what changed those early believers. And Paul is having to write to Timothy because there's a danger. Although Paul has laid hands on him, which we'll come to, even now he could be neglecting what had happened. He's received the coming upon of the Spirit, but somehow he's not living in it. And so Paul has to remind him. And that's part of what it is to live the Spirit-filled life. It's remembering it's not just one crisis. It's an ongoing experience of knowing the Holy Spirit. Lest we should retreat back into the personality that we used to have and not live in the new energy that God is supplying for us. That's what we're talking about tonight. So here he is. Yeah, he's, he's like Moses, like Gideon, like Jeremiah. says, I'm too young, don't call me. So many people that God chose were reluctant they didn't want to be used by God. Even Esther said, no, 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 this is too dangerous. And God had his hand on them. God brought them through in an amazing way. And then, so he's young, too young. He's timid. And then thirdly, he's weak. He's not very well. Paul says, take a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent ailments. And this guy's often sick. Paul, why do you choose a guy who's too young, who's scared, and he's sick all the time? This is what's coming out of the scripture. He was evidently frequently sick. So this guy is, is very vulnerable. But Paul says this about him. I have no one like him. He says this in Philippians chapter 2. He served with me like a son with the father. I've got no one like him. And he says this, who's genuinely concerned for your welfare. There's something about the inner life of this man that really attracted Paul to him. He said others are seeking their own. They're looking for some kind of career breakthrough in the service of God. They've got their own agendas. And Paul says, I've got no one quite like Timothy who genuinely cares for you. I remember once I was, I was invited to speak, and still a young guy in my early 30s, I think, to preach at the church where a man called David Pawson 
was the preacher, and he's a pretty remarkable preacher. At, uh, at his peak, he was probably most, one of the most outstanding Bible teachers in England, and it was quite a place to preach. And I'm driving up there, I'm driving towards the church, uh, up, the, up the road, and uh, I'm more and more scared. Lord, help me, help me, help me. Please get me through this. Don't let me die in David Pawson's pulpit. I mean, it's a horrific thing. I'm scared up in my life. And as I'm driving up there, I felt God said, pull over. So I pulled over. I said, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And I felt God said to me, what about the people? And I said, yeah, what about the people? <laughs> and in just one question, it just showed me, I, didn't, <laughs> I wasn't really caring about the people. I just wanted to survive being in his pulpit. And God really taught me something that day. God says to Timothy, I've no one like him. He's genuinely concerned for you. He really wants to bless you. He's, he's really got you in his heart. So Timothy was God's choice. He was the guy, but there were limitations. All right, so we've seen the challenge that he faced, representing Paul, a long list of things to do. The weaknesses he knew in himself. I'm too young for this. I'm timid. I'm often sick. So what's Paul's answer? It's fascinating. Paul's answer to this, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. You think about that, dear friends. I see all the challenges, but Paul's got an answer for him. Here's the answer, Timothy. Fan into flame the gift of God. I just felt when I was looking at this, God seemed to say to me, don't miss any of these little little phrases in that sentence. So I want to just look at it. The gift of God. So important that we understand the Holy Spirit is not a reward. It's a gift. He is a gift. He is a gift. We often think, no, God will give me the Holy Spirit if I'm really good. Or actually, we tend to think, as I said earlier, he's given to kind of extroverts to give them a bit more. Or am I worthy? I've prayed for many people over the years to receive the Holy Spirit. Had the thrill and privilege of doing it, I don't know how many times, over the years. And sometimes you'll come to people and they'll say, oh, I don't think I'm worthy. It's like, and sometimes with tears, I don't think I'm going to receive, I'm not worthy. And I used to try and encourage people. And I thought, no, that's silly. So I say to them, no, of course you're not. Because we're thinking wrongly. We're not saying the reward of the Holy Spirit. We're saying the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is nothing to do with how worthy am I. And the ongoing enjoyment of the Holy Spirit is nothing to do with how worthy am I. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's very important for us to see this. You see, Simon Peter, you say, well, Simon Peter, did he look worthy? Well, a few weeks earlier, he was cursing and swearing, the Bible says, and saying, no, I am not with Jesus. I don't know him. I may have a Galilean accent, but I am not with him. I don't know him. Curse, swear. I mean, is he worthy of the Holy Spirit? No, he's a mess. He's in trouble. He needs the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of God given to us in our weakness, in our frailty, in our vulnerable. It's for vulnerable people, not for impressive people. That's the whole point. It's for vulnerable people. And it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. It's not something that we earn. It's not a natural projection of my personality. 
is something other than me. The gift of the Spirit is that it's something other than me coming upon me. Something other than me coming upon me and, and, and investing his energy and power into this person. He does it. It's other than us. I know once I was um, in the National Gallery in London and I remember seeing there were two paintings and they were the same picture but by two different artists. I think one was Rubens, I'm not quite sure which of the two, but there were two, same, the same painting effectively, two different artists and they were of Samson draped over Delilah's lap, asleep, and she's got the scissors and she's cutting his hair. That's the picture. And you've got this representation and this representation. And the art gallery had put little notes around, things to draw to your attention in the two different uh, uh, paintings. But one thing that was common to both of them, what did Samson look like? He looked massive. He had muscles on his muscles. He was huge. I mean, isn't that the way we think of Samson? I mean, he's just a tough guy. He can pull gates out of their sockets. He can take hold of lions. He can set fire to foxes. I mean, that guy's a monster. Except, except the whole point of the story, which somehow we miss. They asked him, where'd you get this power from? That's the whole mystery. He looks, he looks like any other guy. That's the whole point. I remember when I saw a movie years ago, uh, Samson and Delilah was the movie, and, that, and they got a guy called Victor Mature, who was kind of the biggest actor around at the time. He could hardly walk, he got muscles. You know, it's like, obviously, he's Samson. But you know, you don't ask Arnold Schwarzenegger, where'd you get that strength from? I mean, it's like, pump those irons, you know, it's obvious. But the whole point, I mean, this is the whole point. It's a total mystery. How do you do it? And he gives all sorts of funny answers to try and trick them. In the end, if he, he's got a vow about his hair and then the Holy Spirit withdraws and he's like any other man. Because we're talking about something other than him. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift. And notice this also, beloved, that he doesn't deserve it at all. He's not like David. When the Spirit came upon David, he became a warrior. He, he took out a lion. He was a mighty guy, became a great leader by the power of the Spirit. Samuel anointed him with oil. The Spirit came upon David and he became a great warrior king. But he also became a great lover of God, a great worshipper. He loved to be in the presence of God. He cultivated a relationship with God. Samson didn't. At no point does it say, actually, the power on Samson was demonic. Never says that. It's the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's a gift. Now, this is kind of shocking if you can... I'm, please don't hear what I'm not saying, but hear what I am saying. It's kind of shocking. It's the power of God freely given. Freely given. Now, at the end, God deals with Samson. The guy is so out of line. God deals with him. But this power is a gift. We need to understand this. Otherwise, dear friends, we keep on getting ourselves caught up with, I'm not sure if I'm holy enough. I'm not sure if I'm ready enough. 
If we wait for this all our lives, we will never be a spirit-filled community because we're all backing back into thinking, I'm not worthy. Of course you're not worthy, nor am I. Am I worthy? No, of course not. It's a gift, that's the whole point. And the Holy Spirit came on Samson. When he came on Samson, he was so powerful. And God will give the Holy Spirit. It's almost like God deals with us down two channels, if you can hear me. It's down the channel of the gift, gifts, prophesying. Healings, gifts that come as gifts from God. And then there's this other channel. I want you to be more and more like my son Jesus. Sanctification. That's what God wants. God wants a holy people who love him, who love his word, love his presence, worship him, delight in him, obey him. God wants all that. He said about David, I found David, a man who do all my will. He wants that. But the power that God gives is a gift. And until we see that, we're going to back off. We're not going to break through because we're often going to feel, I'm, I'm, I'm a secular person. I'm not worthy. But God gives power freely because of Jesus, because of what Christ has done, because of his victory, because he's exalted, because he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and shed forth this. And that's why, to be honest, we're often shocked that people whose theology looks pretty wobbly are pretty powerful sometimes. You think, gosh, he can't be God because his theology is strange. But it doesn't say, to those who have excellent theology, I'll give power. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. We need to comprehend that, be excited by that. We also need to see the other side of the coin. Because the guy is powerful, doesn't mean he's got a lot of theology right. You think, wow, God must be with him because he's so powerful. No, no, we still, I mean, that wonderful quote that Ryan read to us from Sam Storms at the beginning. We want to be people strong in the word who say, no, the word of God is, ah, we want it. We love it. We're so safe with it. We want that. But actually power is separate to that. Where they meet together is what we want. That's our goal. That's what we desire. We want maturity and we want power. But very often power is with irresponsible people. And sometimes they're breakthrough people. And sometimes they take more risks than some of us. And they see the breakthroughs. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. But do hear what I'm saying. God will give the gift of the Holy Spirit freely because of Jesus. Because of his triumph on the cross. Because of his victory. It's all about him. We get given what we don't deserve. We get given what he has earned. It's all free. And that mingling of understanding grace and the coming upon of the Spirit is so important both for receiving and for maintaining a walk in the Spirit. Otherwise, we will constantly ask ourselves, am I worthy? Am I worthy? Whereas God wants to scatter his gifts all over. God wants to, it says that in the early church, They all prophesied. They all prophesied. It said Philip had four daughters who all prophesied. I've often wondered what was breakfast like in that home. (laughs) Prophesying, it was just part of church life. It was like, God's saying this, God's saying this. In Acts 19, 12 people were filled with the Holy Spirit. They immediately started prophesying. But you're only just a new Christian, how dare you? It's God. 
It's God. When the Spirit came on Cornelius' home, and Cornelius is a Roman soldier, and Peter's thinking, what are you doing? You're speaking in tongues. You're a Gentile. You're a Roman. We hate you guys. And then the Spirit came upon them freely, absolutely freely. It's so important we understand the freedom, otherwise we will not press in. We will feel I'm not worthy, I don't know enough. Whereas God is saying, come on, I want to open up to you something other than who you are. A dimension that will make you an amazing people. I'm with you, I'm among you, my power is resident with you. I want you to step through, I want you to... Take risks. I want you to walk. I want you to do it together too because we honestly, and we live in a very individualistic generation, but nearly all the New Testament commands are to a group. They're nearly all to plural. So we do it together. We watch out for one another. We correct people if they go wrong, but we don't say stop, stop, stop. We say, come on, let's go. Let's try. Let's move. Let's take steps. Otherwise, we'll all be very cautious and very correct and we won't see the power that God wants us to see. So important that we get this right. It's the gift of God. It's other than us. Other than us. Next, where is the gift? Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Now that's interesting. Timothy, you know, he laid hands. Paul laid hands on Timothy. Some of us don't even know who laid hands on us. We received the Spirit when nobody important did. But you might feel, well, Paul lays hands on you. You think, wow. Now, who are you? Paul laid hands on me. You know, who laid hands on you? I don't know. Well, well, Paul laid hands on me. Well, that'll last a lifetime, won't it? No, it doesn't. When I say it doesn't, it's like, don't neglect it. Fan it into flame. Although it was Paul, Timothy has a responsibility to keep living in the Spirit, to keep engaging with the Spirit, to stimulate the Spirit within him. We'll look at that a bit more. Fan into flame the gift of God that is where? In you. Think again of Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well in John 4. He's speaking to this Samaritan woman. I'm sure most of you remember that story. And she starts trying to uh, kind of smokescreen, religious talk, trying to put him off. And then he says to her this, if you knew who was speaking to you, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask him and he'd give you living water. And you would have in you a well of water springing up. And she kind of half understands. It's a funny conversation, isn't it? But she says, let me have this. Then I would not have to keep coming to this well. She understood he wasn't just offering her drink. He's offering her the well. You would have in you a well. Oh, great. I wouldn't have to keep coming to this well. You see, sometimes we think of getting to the meeting on Sunday. It's like we've had a hard week. Boy, it's Thursday, Friday. I do hope the pastor's got a word for Sunday. You know, it's like, it's like, God, I need you. I hope I can. No, I love the meetings. I love the worship. I love the preaching of the word. But the well is in you. That's what Jesus said. You can have in you a well. He says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that's where? In you. 
It's in you. The abiding, the Spirit says, it says in 1 John, the Spirit abides with us. The anointing abides with us. With us. He's with us. So we can fan into flame this gift that's in us. We can stir up the gift. We can engage with the presence of the Holy Spirit. One more. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Jesus, who has been flooded with the Spirit at his baptism in water, the Spirit came upon him without measure. I wonder what that was like, staggering off into the wilderness for 40 days and nights. The Spirit's on him without measure. And then, some weeks later, he stands in a synagogue. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me. He doesn't say, I feel anointed this morning. He says, he anointed me. It was an occasion. It was a historical event. It was not how I feel today. We use the word anointing very liberally. It's an anointed song, very anointed meeting. We use that word all over the place. But Jesus said, he anointed me. So watch out. No, he anointed me. It's like, yeah, I've been anointed. That's what Jesus is saying. When, when Peter's at the gate of the temple, they said, got any money? He said, no, I haven't got any money. What I have, I'll give you. Get up. What you have, what you have. He was aware, I know that God's deposited something with me. God has given us the Holy Spirit. So we have to take responsibility for that. It's not just a subjective feeling, it's a historic fact. It's not I feel anointing, it's he anointed me. You can have the well on the inside. Fan into flame the gift of God that's in you. So let's come to that phrase then, as I draw to a close here. Fan into flame. Fan into flame. Why do we need to do that? Well, because, to be honest, we get buckets of water thrown over us. We had disappointment. Life's tough. Life is tough. There are setbacks, disappointments. We are prone to despondency unless we've really seen the grace of God and celebrate how he's always for us. Put on the armor, trust him. We get down. We get setbacks. We get serious things. You know, ancient parents who are sick, little children who are sick, school results, all sorts of things that can rob you. And so we need to understand that I need to fan into flame this gift. And I, whether Paul is talking about a particular gift of the Holy Spirit or whether he's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit is not expressly clear, but I want to kind of generalize that for many of us, life is tough. And we need to know what it is to stir up the gift that's within us. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, don't get drunk with wine, that's escapism. Don't do that. Don't get drunk. It doesn't say don't drink wine, it says don't get drunk with wine. It's kind of escapism. But be filled with the Spirit. And it's interesting, he says this, the days are evil... It's all in the same passage, Ephesians 5. The days are evil. Make the most of the time. Boy, that's pretty serious stuff. So don't get drunk with wine. No, do something serious. Be filled with the Spirit. Singing. Making melody with all your heart. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Think, What's he talking about? He said the days are evil. 
He says, that, he said, this is an important time. What am I doing singing? Now that is his answer. That's exactly his answer. The days are evil. The times are hard. Don't bother to get uh, filled with wine. Be filled with the Spirit, singing, making melody with all your heart to the Lord, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's one of the ways, beloved, that we stir up the gift that's within us. And it's that present continuous, be being filled with the Spirit. Carry on being filled. He says that to the Ephesians. We know how they got filled with the Spirit. We read about it in Acts 19. Paul laid hands upon them and they were filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied when Paul had laid hands on them. Now he writes to them saying, carry on being filled. How? Singing, making melody with all your heart. Celebrating the wonder of what God's done for you. And so do that, dear friends. Do that, do that. Take advantage of that privilege. Make time for that. Plan to do that. Have moments. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us is. And we are corporately the temple of the Spirit. And individually we can be having a temple service daily. So sing, make melody. I know when I was first converted, I was told, you have to pray. I thought, do I have to pray? That sounds hard work. And a lot of people say, when you pray, start by confessing your sins. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Hallelujah. Now, if you lose the Lord's Prayer, which I do, you will come to and forgive us our trespasses. It's not we ignore that. But we don't come with a sin-centered relationship with God. We come with a Father relationship with God. We come celebrating how wonderful he is. How thr- that's every day, beloved, I will do that. I will come to my father. And somebody said to me the other day, I had such a bad father. It's hard for me to think of God as father. It's, many of us have not had brilliant fathers. But the father in the Bible is a father whose son says, I can't wait for you to die. Can I have your inheritance now, please? It's outrageous. Outrageous. If you're not going to, can you die yet? Can you not die? Can I have the inheritance now? And gets it and goes off to the far country and squanders the whole lot. And then thinks to himself, oh, my father at least employs servants. I know I've blown sonship. I know sonship's gone. I've made such a shame on my father's house. But maybe I can get a job with him. And he starts the journey back. And as he makes the journey back, There's a father looking at the horizon. Every day, looking at the horizon. Is that him? That could be him. That looks like his gate. I do believe it is him. And runs, runs to the son. And embraces him and kisses him. And puts cloak around him. And shoes on his feet and rings him. And throws a party. That's the father I'm talking about. Every day when I come, I say, here I come, Father. I'm coming over the horizon. I often use that language. Here I come, Father. Oh, Father. (laughs) What a Father we've got. What a Father. He runs to us. He embraces us. He throws a party. Let's enjoy. Come to him singing, praising, celebrating. I sing a lot when I'm worshipping. I sing in tongues. I meet with him, I enjoy him, I praise him. I would think half my prayer time is worship. 
Because I'm so enjoy- I'm singing, making melodies, drawing up. It says in the old Psalms, spring, spring up, O well, sing to it. We've got this well on the inside. Just let it start flowing. Let it enjoying. Oh, you're my father. I can call you father. For I am your child today, tomorrow, and always. You are my father. The Holy Spirit witnessing, Abba, Father. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. To give us intimacy with the Father. Delight ourselves in him. Enjoy him. Sing to him. Celebrate how wonderful he is. How wonderful Jesus is. Stir up. Don't ignore. Don't say, well, I haven't got time. I haven't got time. John Piper says, many of us want to pray. We just don't plan to. I had to do something for my doctor when I was back in England. He said, will you do this for me? Do it over seven days. I still haven't done it once yet. I want to do it, but I haven't planned to do it. You have to make plans. And then don't neglect. And engage with the Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So enjoy Him. Fan into flame. Fan into flame. Sometimes it's a particular gift where maybe you began to prophesy and then, and then at one point you kind of lost your confidence. You thought, oh, I'm not going there again. It's too, I feel too vulnerable out there. I feel, you know, I was corrected or something. And that's not wrong to be corrected, but sometimes that, well, that's enough, I'm not going there again. Or we began to interpret, and again, you kind of lost the way. And, and so we, we back off, we back off. Maybe healing the sick, maybe you saw some people healed, then you prayed for a big one, and wow, no, 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 they actually passed away. I'm never gonna, I will never lay hands on the sick again. Because there are challenges to virtually every gift of the Spirit. We had a lady in our church, the first one I was pastoring in my 20s, fresh out from Bible college, and she had the gift of hospitality. It's a gift of the Spirit. It's in the Bible. And she would stand with Wendy and me on a Sunday and she'd say, any students in today? And we had a college nearby and I'd say, I think the three new ones. Send them down. You and Wendy come as well. So she's got five extra. I thought, how does she do this? I don't know how she does it. But she did it. And there was none of this, no one's helping me. It's all left to me. There was none of that. It was a gift. It was beautiful. And she helped us build a church with this gift. But you could have met with something really unpleasant. I thought, I'm not doing that anymore. So we have to stir up the gift. We need to fan it into flame. We need to say, no, I want to enjoy this wonderful favor, this mercy from God that I don't deserve. And I want to extend it. I want to see it grow. I want to see it develop into more. Sometimes we, 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 we just lose courage. And the gifts of the Spirit often need courage to live in that dimension, to press through. We've got a loving church who care for us and encourage us forward. A church that's saying that we want more of God. We want to be biblical. We don't want to be crazy. We want to be biblical, but we long for the power and presence of God. It's so biblical for God's power to be present. I'll just close with this. My, one of my earliest memories as a small child was uh, I woke hearing my father clearing out the fire from the previous day. I'd hear the, the metal poker going on the metal grate. Clank, 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 clank. It used to wake me in the mornings. As a little boy, I said, like, Dad, can I light the fire today? 
we just had a fire. It was before central heating. Go back a long way, I do. And uh, it's one of my early memories. But what was he doing? Well, he was clearing out. Why? We wanted to have a fire today. So what are ashes? Well, they're what was burning yesterday. And for some of us, that's, that stops us because we still live in what was happening yesterday. And it is, well, no, we need to clear it out, clear it out. Oh, it was burning yesterday. Got, I was asked to speak at a conference one. I always remember it. I've never been in such a nostalgic group, constantly talking about yesterday's, celebrating. I thought, come on, guys, let's go. No, we need to get the air through, let the fire burn. And God can do that with us. Sometimes our flesh feels weary. Like David, we need to be like David who said, come on, soul. It's like, I got up, why haven't you got up, soul? Come on, soul. Wake up, oh soul. Let's worship God. And sometimes you need to take your soul in hand. And that's where the gift of tongues is so very helpful. It's a merciful, kind gift to us in our weakness to help us. It's given to weak people to help us through. And so I find I often sing old hymns, great big old hymns, love divine, all loves divine, you know, in tongues. Because I sing it, and it's a great big song. And I sing it in tongues, and I feel my spirit coming alive, coming alive, coming alive. By the time I've finished it, I'm thinking, yes. At the beginning, I was thinking, (gasps) (sighs) let's live by the spirit. Let's enjoy his presence Let's expect his manifestation. Let's encourage one another. Let's encourage one another. Encourage one another in the prophetic. Listen to one another. Affirm one another. Be able to correct and receive correction well. And then we can keep growing. Amen? Let's be a people full of the Holy Spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this terrific church. I thank you for the love I thank you for a packed hall full of people wanting God. And Father, we just say to you, Lord, please, Lord, for the sake of the lost, for the sake of your glory in the church, may we, Lord, more and more develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit, fortified by him, strengthened mightily by his indwelling. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.